This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Us to really be doers of your word. And we pray that you may teach us deeply so that we may obey what it says. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now when I was working, I used to try to reach out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest obstacles to evangelism was other Christians. So I remember that in my office, uh, there were a few Christians, and one of them used to tell dirty jokes. Another one used to gossip behind other people's back. Another one used to slander. So you know, when I went to share the gospel with people, they would say to me, See, Christians, hypocrites. Look at these guys, they're all the same, they're just like us. I remember how over the last few weeks I've been talking to people and my experience was not an isolated one. Because I've heard of Christian bosses who would shout and scream and yell at their employees. I've heard of Christian colleagues who would take credit for work which was not theirs, who would uh, slander other people and play politics. And these people are people who go to large established churches who would bring their families there. Some even are elders and deacons of churches. Now we might think this is a 21st century Singapore problem, but as we look at today's word, we actually see that it's a first century Christian problem. So last week, uh, as we ended last week's passage, if you look up here in the slide, James uh, gave us verse 18, which deals with the issue of identity. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. So what is our identity? Our identity is that God chose us, God birthed us through his word of truth so that we might be a first fruits to a new creation, a saved people. That is our identity. But the problem was that the Jewish Christians were not living up to their new identity in Christ. In fact, if you look here in verse 19 to 20, they had a problem with how they were behaving as Christians. So in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, the identity of Christians is that we are chosen, we are born through the word of truth, but we must live up to that identity. And here it says very powerfully, take note, a command, a demand. It is without Question, we must take note of the fact that every single Christian must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because it does not produce or do works of God that he desires in the righteous life that we live. So do you give in to the temptation of anger? Are you an angry person? I don't know actually, because you know at church... It's hard to see, right? But during the week, are you an angry person? Now, this links very well with chapter 1 because in chapter 1, last week, when we looked at it, next slide, 
temptation was seen to be like a baby. Right? You know, you, you, you feed the baby, it gets bigger and bigger until it grows up into this fully formed person. And when temptation is fully formed, it leads to death. And here, anger is classed as one of the temptations which lead to death if you keep feeding your anger. And that's why in verse 21 it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Another imperative, another command. We are like wearing these clothes which are evil and sinful and moral filth and we are like to rip it off like the Hulk, right? And throw it away and never to wear it again. Because anger is like the moral filth and evil of the world. Now, I wonder whether we see anger as moral filth or as evil. I don't think we do, right? I mean, anger is just one of the things that people do. People get angry all the time. But here, in God's eyes, it is moral filth and evil. And in fact, if you keep feeding your anger, it leads to your own death. It grows up fully formed and that ultimately leads to death. And anger, therefore, is a choice, right? Because it says here that we are not to be angry, but instead to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So, you know, you listen to the radio and I like listening to the radio. You know, the latest Taylor Swift song, right? Look what you made me do, right? You know, yeah, you know, I got angry. It was your fault. Look at what you made me do. I got angry because of what you did. But actually, the Bible doesn't say that, right? Anger is your own fault. You choose to feed the temptation of anger in your life. It's not, look what you made me do. So remember, in my son's school, I really respect this principal, Peter Tan. He was the principal of my son's school. And we were having this parent-teachers gathering, and he was telling us about how, as parents, it's very important that we do not bring anger home based on the situation we experience outside. So, you know, he is giving this example of this father. He got promoted, so he came home, but he's very happy. His son is, and, and daughter, they're making a mess of the house, but it's okay because he got promoted. He's very angry. He's not angry, right? Another day, he gets scolded at work, so when he goes home, the kids are actually behaving normally, but he gets very angry because he brings his or her anger back from home. And he says, look, he says anger is a choice. You know, you don't look angry when you're with your boss, right? Do you shout at your boss and scold your boss and swear at your boss? No, you don't, right? Why is that? Because he's your boss or her, you know? Or, or Do you get angry with the policeman when he's got the taser and the gun in his belt? No, right? You're very respectful to the policeman. And you know, after your 12-hour transatlantic flight to London or to New York, do you get angry with the immigration officer? Of course not, right? Because you've got to fly another 12 hours back to Singapore. So anger really here is a choice. And the passage here is telling us that we must choose not to give freedom to be angry. But I think that the Bible goes on to say that it's just not the expression of anger, the expression of that explosive volcanic anger, which is not what God desires in a righteous life. The Bible also talks about how 
deep-seated internal bitterness and anger is not what God desires in our life as well. So as you read in your responsive reading in Ephesians chapter 4, it's up here. See, I've got sound effect also. Right. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And in uh, verse 31, do get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every kind or every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what it's saying here is very similar to what we read in James chapter 1. Don't feed the anger. When the sun goes down, let go of the anger. Forgive that person. Or if you want to talk and work things out, that anger, resolve the anger before the day is out. Don't become an angry, bitter person on the inside. It's not just an expression of it, but the internalizing of the anger, which doesn't lead to the righteous life that God desires. So as we look at this passage, it's very important for us to remember the seriousness of anger in God's eyes. Now, verse 22 then presses home that point about how we need to obey what God says here. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here if you look at the passage, it's very straightforward. Do not merely listen. That means do not only listen, but do. There are two types of Christians almost, two types of people who sit in church, the doers and the listeners. Those who merely listen and then leave, or stop reading, when they read the Bible, they go off somewhere and then for the rest of the six days of the week, do what they want to do, but don't do the word, they are deceiving themselves. How are they deceiving themselves? How are they cheating themselves? Well, in verse 21, it said that the word planted in you can save you. Well, you're deceiving yourself because if you hear the word and the word doesn't reside in your heart, which leads to practical action and practical effect, you're cheating yourself because the word has no salvation effect on you. It cannot save you because you're not doing the word. So I've always struggled to understand verse 23 to 25. What is this picture of the person who looks in the mirror and forgets himself? I was really helped because um, there was a good commentary which I read which gave us this diagram. And I think this diagram really helps us to understand the metaphor, the picture that James gives us. So a person wakes up in the morning and they look in the mirror just like they always wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, but they don't look very closely, right? I mean, usually, you wake up 365 days of the week and you look in the mirror, you're not going to be like, oh, wow, look at that, right? It's like, you know, you sort of look in the mirror very quickly and uh, you sort of forget, you go off and you do your own stuff. I mean, like, even for myself, I, I don't even remember whether I brush my teeth sometime when I wake up, right? I'm like, did I brush my teeth this morning? I can't remember. 
So in the same way you look in the mirror, you're very absent-minded, you go off and you forget all about whether you looked in the mirror. But, in contrast, the doer, not the forgetter, the doer looks intently, it's a a different word here, he looks intently or she looks intently, he absorbs, she absorbs the details, studies carefully, understands what's happening, the word, the perfect law, goes off, does it. And because the person continues to do it, they are not a forgetter, and therefore they are blessed, and the word of truth saves them. So the contrast in God's eyes is the forgetter and the doer. The forgetter is the one who listens to the word, looks at the word, reads the word, goes off and forgets, and doesn't do, and there is no blessing for this person. The word of truth does not save. But the doer studies and absorbs the word, and most importantly applies the word in their life, and therefore is saved. So for myself, I have a confession to make. My wife often asks me to get things for her. Honey, can you get the milk on the way home? Yeah, okay, sure, no problem. Get the bread? Yeah, okay. Buy some eggs? Yeah, okay. When you go and buy the vegetables, don't forget to buy this particular vegetable. Yeah, okay, sure, no problem. Uh, maybe I'm watching TV, reading a newspaper at the time. Right? I come home. Hey, where's the eggs? Oh, I forgot. Where's the milk? I forgot. I forget the whole grocery list of all the things I'm supposed to have brought home, right? Why is that? I, I heard, I listened, but I didn't do, right? So it never really registered with me. I, I, I forgot. I mean, it's not as if I didn't hear. I heard. Because if not, I would say, you never told me, right? But I heard, I heard, I, I, I forgot. In the same way, when you come to the Word, and you don't really listen, and you're not paying attention, and you're not applying it, then in God's eyes, you are like that person. You're not the doer, you're the forgetter. And the problem is, the forgetter doesn't really have the Word at all. And without the Word, there is no salvation. Now, we're going to spend a bit of time because if you notice, why is it it says the perfect law? Why doesn't it say the person who looks intently at the Word of truth? Why is it the perfect law? Now, for those of us who are in the Bible study groups and you're doing the Bible overview, or if you're here listening to Rohintan doing the Reformation talks, you would feel like the law is a negative thing, right? You know, if you do the law, you're trying to save yourself by works rather than the grace of God. If you try to save yourself by works, you will never be saved because it is by God's forgiveness, the grace of God, that you're saved. So why does it talk about the perfect law? I think the context is very important. So, uh, next slide. In the book of Romans, Galatians, and the book of Hebrews, the background is that there were Christians who wanted to go back to Judaism. They wanted to go back to obeying the law. They wanted to be circumcised. They wanted to follow the ceremonial law. They wanted to keep special days. They wanted to abstain from certain food. And Paul was saying, look, you'll never be saved this way. You'll never be saved because you're going back to Judaism, and Judaism cannot save. It is only Jesus Christ that can save. Now the difference here, next slide, is the problem that James is facing. It is not that the Christians want to go back to Judaism. 
is that they are going back into the world. They're assimilating into the world. They're holding on to the values of the world. And they're becoming more and more like the world. They're indistinguishable from the world. Their identity as Christians is lost. So here, when it talks about the perfect law, it's not talking about circumcision or, or food laws or holidays, holy days. It's talking about doing what God desires. So if you look at me in chapter 2, verse 8, look at me in chapter 2, verse 8, very important here. Chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really keep the royal law, Found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So the law here is summarized as the words of Jesus, as loving your neighbor as yourself. It is not circumcision, it is not food, it is not ceremony, it is not holy days. It is loving your neighbor as yourself. And you are not loving your neighbor as yourself if you show anger to them. Because this is not what love is about. So as we look at this passage, the first do that we must do is we must not show anger. We must restrain our anger because it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. It leads to death. It's part of the moral filth and evil of this world. But in verse 26, it goes on to say, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Now, um, if you look at this picture, the rein of uh, the horse is this thing that you put in the horse's mouth. It's actually really uncomfortable. I didn't realize this next picture. You put this thing into the horse's mouth, right? And then you put the rein on it so that you pull his mouth around or its mouth around, so that you make the horse go wherever you want it to go. It's a picture of control. And in the next slide, if you have a tight rein, it's even tighter, right? The horse can hardly move its head around freely. So in the same way, what the Bible is saying, you must keep a tight rein on your tongue. Don't give it the freedom to do what it wants to do, to do the evil things that it might want to do. And some of those evil things are things like gossip. You know, gossip is talking behind people's backs about other people. Slander, saying things like innuendo or things which might be untrue to damage other people's reputation. Or things that you want to talk to people about. Harsh words, sarcasm, ridicule insults, making fun of them. So these are all sins of the tongue. And it says here that if we humbly accept the word, then we must give no freedom for the tongue to say these things, to do these things. Now usually when you go to church and they, if they do talk about the tongue and the sins of the tongue, they will always talk about the damage the tongue has on the congregation, on the community. But if you look very carefully at this verse, the damage that it does is not just to the community, it is to you. You, your religion, is worthless and you deceive yourself. The same word again, deceive yourself. 
you deceive yourself that you are actually saved. Now, I find that the new NIV translation that we use in church is not very helpful because it looks at it in a very corporate sense. right? But if you look at the old NIV, it actually translates it better because the original tense is the singular. Anyone, any one person, right? any one person who considers themselves religious but does not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. So, if you individually personally feed the sins of your tongue you know you go around indiscriminately gossiping slandering making fun of people insulting people swearing at people god holds you individually accountable your religion is worthless and you're deceiving yourself so I remember um a pastor was sharing in a sermon once about how in australia uh there were a group of women in his church who were gossiping So he went to speak to the women and he said, look, you know, what you're doing is wrong. It's affecting the church. But more than that, you are actually putting your salvation at risk. And based on this passage, he was absolutely right. If they kept gossiping and they didn't keep a tight rein on their gossip, they were putting their salvation at risk. I remember talking to another person from another church and there was an elder in his church who didn't like like a pastor in another church. And he was telling people all sorts of stories about this other pastor, which were untrue. And we were saying, look, you know, what this elder was doing was wrong, because you might not like this other pastor, but you can't, by innuendo and smear and half-truths, damage this person's reputation when you have no evidence that what you're saying is actually true. So this deacon was going to speak to him and say, look, you cannot go around telling people these things because they're not true. Uh, I've been to Bible study where, you know, Bible study members have said to one another, said, oh, you know, that's stupid. Or that's nonsense. I mean, that's harsh language, right? I mean, you're in the Bible study to discuss the Bible. Uh, I even heard from somebody a few weeks ago there was someone in their Bible study who accused someone in their Bible study of being a false teacher. I mean, if that's the case, you may as well not discuss the Bible anymore in the Bible study, right? Because it's like you, you, the person cannot ever speak again. So I think it's very important for us to take very seriously uh, the sins of the tongue because the world has no problems with all these sins. Gossiping. Uh, slander, uh, harsh language. That's, that's just part of the world. I mean, people don't see it as a sin at all. It's just, that's just life. Somebody else was telling me about how there was a pastor of a big church and during the church service, something like this, the musicians uh, made a mistake and he was so harsh in his language to the musicians that one of the musicians started crying. But nobody rebuked the pastor. And that's a sign that the church has actually become like the world, where the church itself is no different from the world. Because this is the way people behave in the world, but that's not the way we behave as God's people. The last instruction comes in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now here is the contrast because in the previous verse, it talked about how religion was worthless and deceptive when the person doesn't keep the guard over their tongue. But here, religion that is pure and faultless is to look after the, the widows and the orphans. Now, in the ancient world, the people who were the weakest, the most vulnerable people were the widows, people with no spouses, or the spouses died, and then in their old age, they got no one to look after them, or the orphans, the ones without parents. And it says that as Christians, our identity demands, again, it's a demand here, demands that we look after these people. It is not a suggestion. I feel so encouraged because when I think of uh, people like Jeremy and Sarah who went to Sydney uh, because their baby had all these birth problems, it's so encouraging because the church that they joined, even though they've only just joined it for a few months, actually is so helpful to them in looking after Sarah when she's there by herself, when she's so busy looking after uh, the baby. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be something which is an optional thing or something which happens because there are a few nice people within the church. It's something that everyone in the church, if they call themselves a Christian, should be doing. We should be looking after the weak and the vulnerable and the needy. The last point here is that we are to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now this is exactly the context in which the Christians were actually the danger that they were facing. They were being polluted by the world, so slowly, gradually over the time, they were no longer behaving as God's righteous people, but they were indistinguishable from the world in the way that they behave. So the pollution that they're talking here is not uh, car exhaust right, or secondhand cigarette smoke, right? but it is the world... The, the pervasive worldview, the world perspective, the world's attitudes that were seeping into the church, that were leading them to become sinful and morally compromised in God's eyes. So I remember reading an article on the internet uh, by this pastor who was writing why we shouldn't watch Game of Thrones. And uh, this pastor wrote a very helpful thing. He said, you know, before you watch anything on Netflix, before you watch anything on HBO, before you go to any movie, before you read any literature, you should ask yourself, can I give thanks to God for this book or this movie or this series? If you can't give thanks to God, then it must be because there is something about this book or this movie or this series which compromises you as a Christian which pollutes your mind and your value system. And therefore, you shouldn't watch it. And I think that relates very well to this passage. Are there things in your life which are polluting the way that you live and think and, I guess, in your heart, the, the attitudes that you hold as a Christian, your value system? Because if there are, then you need to obey and be a doer and do the word that is planted in you and cut off these things which pollute your life. 
So as we look looked at this passage, I think it's very clear that the Bible speaks very strongly about these things which the world thinks very little of. Anger, sins of the tongue, helping other people, being polluted. But in God's eyes, these are very serious things. And if you keep feeding them, giving them a free reign, a free pass, it will actually lead to your own death. So we need to be doers and to eliminate this from our life. In conclusion, uh, my father suffered from uh, cancer, from prostate cancer. As part of his recovery, he had to have an operation where uh, they actually went into his uh, prostate urinary tract area and removed these little polyp things which were cancerous. My mother-in-law had breast cancer. They had to remove the cancer cells from her breast. The reason why is because cancer is incompatible with bodily life. You can't leave the cancer cells there. You have to remove them. That's how serious it is. In the same way, we need to understand what this passage is saying to us in its fullness, that these sins are like cancer to the Christian life. We might think that anger is not a very serious problem, but if we keep feeding it, the passage is very clear. We are deceiving ourselves. The word of God which is planted in us has no fruit, no salvation. The sin of the tongue is religion, is worthless, the person who practices it. And again, we are deceiving ourselves. If we do not help the weak and needy, if we do not keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, then again, the warning is very clear. We need to get rid of these things in our lives. We need to be doers, not forgetters. Because it's very easy for us after today's sermon to walk out and then for the next six days and for the rest of our lives to forget everything that we've read here. But we need to because the stakes are so high. It is about eternal life and eternal hell that is being spoken of here. So I want to ask you this question. What does my faith look like? Am I a doer or am I a forgetter? Because if you are a doer, then the word of God really is within you. And the word of God does its work in saving you. But if you are a forgetter, then you are actually putting yourself in the danger of actually losing right, the faith that you have and actually dying. Right? Your faith is worthless, it says. So let's all be doers of the word of truth. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we may take your word seriously. And as we walk out today, we will not forget, but we will remember, we will apply, and that we will practice and do what the word says. Help us to see that you have done the work of saving us, of choosing us, to giving us new birth into a new creation, a saved people. But help us to see as well that your word of truth requires for us to act as your people, to not give a free pass or a free reign to our anger, to our tongue, or even 
to being polluted by the world, but rather to do what is pure and faultless before you, to live lives of godliness and righteousness before you, to help those who are weak and needy. And we pray for each and every one of us, as this passage speaks to us personally, that we will realize the seriousness of what the world trivializes and that we will take action. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.